This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Agua. Advising you to be quiet because the jury's coming back out. You're advising me to be quiet? Is you telling me to be quiet? to be respectful when the jury Are you telling me to be quiet or are you asking me? I'm asking you and advising you. Okay, thank you for correcting that because don't nobody tell me what to do. I don't tell nobody else what to do. This is every day for three weeks. There was stuff like this going on. It was hard to take your eyes off of it. It was like a train wreck. If an attorney acted this way in front of most judges, they would be held in contempt. They wouldn't be practicing very long. They'd be getting reprimanded by the bar. Like that's the disrespect that just, you don't, you show more respect to just your common man in the streets, let alone a sitting judge who's presiding over your case telling her she's going to ask you to do something, not tell you to And frankly, he's just wrong. She can tell him to do all sorts of things. Exactly. She can send him back to, to his cell. She can kick him to the other courtroom. She can literally mute him if she wants to, and she finds reason to. Did you guys hear about this one? Welcome to Rick Sanchez News. So glad that you're there. By the way, you can continue to watch us and tell your friends. We tell Latino truths. We tell stories that are interesting that you may not have heard of. Rick Sanchez News, a part of Agua Media, and you can... Um, Check us out on uh, Spotify, on Apple, on our website, aguamedia.com. Or if you see us on uh, on the YouTubers, as they say, make sure you subscribe. But here's the thing. Have you heard about this? So these guys are in a fishing tournament. <laughs> these guys were in a fishing tournament up in the Midwest. Their names are Jacob Runyon and Chase Kamiski. And uh, they're these guys are like the best fish bass fishermen in America, right? And lately they've been winning 30,000, 40,000, 50,000. They've been cleaning up. They win all the tournaments and people say, God, these guys must be great fishermen. How come, you know, they're like the Tom Brady's of the bass fishing world. So just a couple of days ago, basically, uh, these guys come in with their catch. And, you know, at the end of these fishing tournament, all these dudes, you know, all these uh, very Anglo-Saxon type dudes in the Midwest, good people, salt of the earth. They love to fish. Good for them. Um, they're weighing their fish, and these guys show up with a like, and I'm watching this, right? These guys show up like four or five fish, healthy looking fish. So other guys have been there, they've showed, they, they know they showed up with eight fish and seven fish and nine fish. And but these guys, I'm looking at them and they got like four fish. But these had to be four of the heaviest fish in the history. Their four fish weighed more than everybody else's seven fish, eight fish, nine fish, right? Sounds like a nursery rhyme. Eight fish, nine fish, seven. And you win by weight. And you win by weight. So they weigh their fish. Their fish weigh more than everybody else's catch. Even the people who had many more fish. And they applaud. And all of a sudden, you you you, you, you watching this video and there's this murmur in the audience. Like, rah, 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 rah. you can hear the guys going, something's going on here. And then finally, one of them gets up there and takes one of the guy's fish and guts it. Opens it up. With a knife, just takes his knife and you can see he's taking the knife and he's cutting the belly of the fish. And all of a sudden, you know what pops out? Plomo. You right? Weights, right? What we call plomo in Spanish. Big, big giant, like 
the big circular cylindrical weights that you use to, you know, make sure your bait goes all the way to the bottom when you're fishing here in, you know, in Tampa Bay or Clearwater or off of Los Angeles or in Miami where there's big currents. He stuck these giant weights inside the fish and then he stuck stuff inside of it so you couldn't see the, you know, the lumpiness of the weight. And this guy, this other fisherman goes up there and he cuts it and this thing starts falling out. And the place goes nuts because these guys are cheating and getting away with a lot of money, by the way. This is like a felony. Here's the moment when they were caught. L listen to this. Listen to this. Here we go. You can see him here, by the way. They're taking the weights out of the fish and putting them on this, uh, you know, putting them on this. It's amazing to watch. And, and the reason I wanted to show you this is because this is what we've gotten to. I'm sorry, but... You know, look, uh, people have always cheated and people have always lied, but it just seems like there's a new reality in this country today where people just, is, is there any sense of decency anymore? I mean, this is a fishing tournament. Come on. You know, is there any sense of decorum? Is there any sense of anything anymore? I mean, you know, with this whack nut we had in the White House recently, and now we got one who is falling asleep because he's too old and his mind doesn't work well. And I just, I, I worry for my country, you know? <laughs> this is this is just, I think, episodic, and yet it it speaks to where we are right now as a nation, where this kind of thing happens. And yet, by the way, and I'm just going to say this, and then I'm going to move on, and you guys who are Latino out there, you get it. If these guys were Latinos, I mean, Fox News leads with every single thing that any Latino ever does that could possibly even be remotely wrong. If a Latino gets a DUI in Los Angeles, it's a front page, it's a lead story for Sean Hannity, right? These guys are depraved. These Latinos coming into this country, they're coming to rape your sister. And by the way, they're horrible people and they're constantly committing crime and we got to get them out and we got to protect the border and blah, 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 blah. Well, these guys here, good old boys from the Midwest. I didn't see a Latino among them. Where's the car? Where, where's the conversation? Is something wrong maybe with Wisconsinites or maybe it's a, you know, a Midwestern thing where there's no morality up there. Maybe we ought to get rid of all the people in the Midwest. I'm kidding, of course, but I'm just making the point. I'm just making the point that, you know, it always comes our way in this country. We're the only ones who are constantly being called all kinds of things. And we end up kind of being defenseless about it. But there are other examples, no better example of the crazy life we're living in this country right now than what has been going, what happened in Waukesha, Wisconsin, which has now turned into, by the way, you know, the the the, the trial of the century. And see, I listen, I, I can't stop watching. There's this dude named Daryl Brooks. He apparently one day had a fight with his girlfriend and got so angry about his fight with his girlfriend, he decided to get into his car, a red SUV, and he drove it in the middle of a parade that they were having last Christmas in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And he ran over something like 60-some people and he killed six people. And he obviously did it on purpose, according to every single witness who watched it. 
um, and the police who tried to stop him. And then he goes to trial and guess what he does? He says, I don't want to, I don't want a lawyer. Who needs a lawyer? Why do you need a lawyer? I'm going to represent myself. And that's when this shit gets just batshit crazy. I don't know if you guys have watched it, but you've got to listen to some of this stuff because it's really interesting. It's really good. And we've got an expert now who's going to take us through it because I got a million questions about this. It's Peter Tragos. Peter's a lawyer here in Florida. He's in Clearwater. He does personal injury. He also talks about this case. He has a YouTube channel that's become very, very popular as a result of his commentary because like the rest of us, he's a lawyer, but he's also a human being and he knows crazy when he sees it. So <laughs> he, he's been watching this case and making reactions and commenting to it. So Peter, Peter, my friend, thanks for being with us. How you doing? Yeah, doing great. Happy to be here. I'm glad you're here, man, because there, there, there are a lot of... Uh, there are a lot of things to talk. Let's get right into it. So first of all, uh, this has been going on for weeks on end. And finally today, there was, alas, a decision made whether this guy was going to go to prison for the rest of his life for literally mowing down 60-some people, I think it is, and killing six, including children in a band, by the way, with their backs turned to him because he was mad at his girlfriend, or whether the jury was going to say, I'm sorry, there's not enough evidence. So here's the verdict. We, the jury, find the defendant, Daryl E. Brooks, guilty of first-degree intentional homicide as charged in count one of the information. Did the defendant commit first-degree intentional homicide while using a dangerous weapon? Answer, yes. Hey, you are to be removed right now. You will not do that. Burn in hell, you piece of shit, says one of the family members, and then the judge removes the person. Now, that's interesting that we started with that, because this judge, this judge is going to be a movie. And if and I want to I want a piece of the action on the movie they make about this woman. She has had to show the patience of Job throughout this thing. This guy has done everything possible you could do to another human being to push her buttons. Sometimes like the way my kids push my buttons. But I mean, it's just been, she says blue, he says green. She says up, he says down. And then he wants an explanation for down. Plus he wants her to give her a legal reasoning for her decision. It's been, it's been a lot of fun to watch. In fact, just before they went to the jury, and Peter, let's start with this. He does something interesting. He says to the judge, your honor, I'm going to ask this jury to use jury nullification. And she says, you can't do that. By law, you can't do that. But he presses her. Here it is. Let's listen to this together. And then I want to hear you explain this to us. Go ahead. Sally. You are absolutely not allowed to tell the jury that. There's a jury instruction that I will have ready to go if you even attempt to raise the issue of jury nullification, uh -oh. sir. Show me lawful lobbying. Show me. All right. I'm going to mute him once again. He's starting to raise his voice. He's starting to hit his hands on the table. It's very clear to this court <laughs> that uh, it's going to be a challenge tomorrow during his closing arguments. And then before the closing arguments, by the way, before the closing arguments, he continues to tell her, I'm going to tell the jury about jury nullification. And he did actually tell her the jury about jury nullification. Would you explain to us, Peter, what he was doing, what he was trying to do, what jury nullification means, and what the judge's position was and if it was correct? Yeah, I mean, jury nullification is basically the jury disregarding the law. 
and in jury selection, what the lawyers hammer home is, can you follow the law? And if you can follow the law, great. That's what we're going to ask you to do in this case. Don't bring sympathy in. Don't bring your experiences in or how you feel about the way somebody looks, about the way somebody speaks. Don't bring any of that in. Follow the facts and the law in the case. And if you can't do that, then you're not qualified to sit on this jury. So basically, we tell them at the outset, if you're planning to nullify or go with jury nullification, you are not qualified to sit on this jury. A good example I give is back when I was at the state attorney's office about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. I prosecuted a possession of marijuana case. And when I asked in jury selection, how many of you think uh, marijuana should be illegal? Nobody raised their hand. So at hmm. that point, we realized that everybody's going to nullify in this case. Nobody's going to convict this guy for possessing marijuana. We do a plea deal and the case goes away. That's a, an easy example of jury nullification. If you just don't agree with the law, you don't think it's fair that people might get convicted of something you think is stupid. That's what an easy version of jury nullification is. But so, what Mr. Brooks was trying, yeah. go ahead. So the evidence is not going to matter to them, in other words, is what I was going to say. So what Brooks is trying to do is, feel sorry for me. I haven't held my child yet. Um, I have kids. They're being bullied at school. So I'm not going to argue about the facts, but you have the power to nullify. That's what he was trying to say. Feel bad for me, basically. That, and, that was and what why, he was trying why, to say. Why couldn't he say to them, uh, you should nullify the evidence because you should feel bad for me? What? What is? <clears throat> there's something actually in the law that says you cannot tell a jury to nullify. You cannot instruct a jury to nullify. Is that correct? Correct. The rules of evidence do not allow it. The case law does not allow it. The precedent does not allow it because effectively you're asking them to go back on their oath that they made before becoming a juror. So technically you could argue um, loosely that they're committing perjury if they do in fact nullify the verdict. Now, sometimes the verdict goes the other way and you don't know if it was jury nullification because we don't necessarily know the reason a jury votes that way. And some savvy criminal defense lawyers will make arguments that make the jury nullify, Mm -hmm. but they would never ask the jury to nullify or disregard the law. So let's talk now about what he did say in his closing arguments, other than you should feel sorry for me. I haven't seen my kids. I keep a Bible with me every day. I believe in God. I'm a Christian man, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is mostly what he did. He was appealing to their emotions and trying to make them feel sorry for him. But he did say one thing that caught my eye, and that is when he told the jury that the car he was driving had been recalled And it left me thinking, well, since he said that, if I were a jury, would I think, is it possible that maybe the brakes went out on the car? There was a malfunction that made it speed up, that something happened that was beyond his control. And if I can think of that as a mitigating circumstance, is it possible that I, as a jury, would then say, you know what, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Here he is making that argument. The vehicle in question actually 2008, 2009, and 2010 of that model was in fact recalled. Objection, misstatement of the facts, facts not in evidence. Was in fact. Okay, so they said, uh, you know, whatever, lawyers speak, uh, objection, that's not in evidence. But but as a jury, I still heard that. I had a concern that they might react to that. They obviously didn't because they find, find him guilty. What's your take on that, Peter? So what's interesting is to first realize what he's actually doing with that argument, if you want to take it, and how he argued throughout the closing was not, I didn't do this, and was not, I should be not guilty of all these crimes. It was frankly focusing on intent, which was really his only argument. Mm. So even if he did not intend to hit all these people, he still did recklessly endanger them. Potentially, he still did jump bail. Potentially, 
He battered his girlfriend potentially. So all of that stuff could still happen even if the car malfunctioned. So that's number one. Number two, the first problem is it's not an evidence. He didn't testify. It's not facts and evidence. The, the state objected to it. The judge sustained it. So it's not something the jury can consider. But like you said, that's lawyer speak. So it doesn't mm-hmm. actually get through to the jurors. We never know. But the state put on an expert witness, an accident reconstructionist, to say they checked the car. There were no issues with that car. A little behind the scenes, the jury doesn't know this, but you can actually still hit your brake in those malfunctions. It actually is a recall. There were accelerator malfunctions and accelerator issues, but if you hit your brake, you can still stop the car. Correct. So it wasn't just like it's going to drive no matter what, but that we didn't get into that because these facts didn't come into evidence. But what did come into evidence is when he was done doing what he did, driving through the parade, he was able to go and back his car in nicely right next to a house in a neighborhood, stop the car, get out of the car and run with no issues. Hmm. So was he able to stop or was he not able to stop? He slowed down. He hit brake lights. We saw videos where there was actual brake lights and you could see the brake lights on the video. So when we talk about, could he actually stop the car? The evidence was pretty clear that he could have stopped the car regardless of if it was within this time period, even though his was not the actual age and didn't have the actual mileage on the car that made it fit within that recall. The jury didn't know all of that, but I think there was evidence stacked up to show that that wasn't the actual reason for this. So um, a person who is sitting in that jury box day in and day out for three to four weeks would have proper recall of that expert, you say, came on and said, we checked the vehicle. It did not malfunction. The brakes did work. And he did also drive it afterward. And it worked. So they would recall that. It's the rest of us who are YouTube followers of this trial checking in from time to time. We hear him say that and we go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What if? But you're saying they know that. The the reason these jurors found him guilty is because they were able to apply that information they had been previously given. I still, I I was left wondering why the uh, prosecution at that point in the closing arguments didn't say, again, it's important to realize some of the things that you just said. You said they didn't really need to. They they trusted this jury would have figured this, this stuff out. Yeah, I mean, I probably would have mentioned it in my rebuttal. She did a really quick three-minute rebuttal, but I think she was pretty confident she was going to win. She bundled the charges, which prosecutors don't usually do unless they're pretty confident Mm -hmm. and go through each individual charge. And I will say that, yes, the jury has that recall, and that's one of the reasons he was found guilty. But the second reason, which is probably the more overpowering reason, is they, just like you said, they've been in that courtroom with him for three to four weeks. They've seen the show and the circus that he's tried to put on. They've been sent away and had the door open while he's screaming about subject matter jurisdiction and getting into arguments with the judge. And then they were sent away for an hour. He's been in the courtroom and then they show up and he's in a different courtroom, waving his hands around, you know, acting all this nonsense. (laughs) They're there. They're seeing it. I don't think they appreciate it with the with the gravity of the charges in this case and the families affected. And for him to say things in this closing, like I've got a clear conscience. I was powerless. Feel bad for me. I think the jury had enough of that, and and the timing of the verdict says more than almost the verdict itself. Have you ever seen anything like this? I never have. I've never seen anything like this. Uh, have you? So when I was a prosecutor, I did try a case against a sovereign citizen that represented himself, and it was a very simple misdemeanor case that still took two. It should have taken two hours, and it took two days. And he was not nearly as disrespectful as Mr. Brooks, but it does just make the case difficult. They argue things that are totally irrelevant, but they sound like maybe they'll have some relevance. Judges handle them with kid gloves. Prosecutors handle them with kid gloves. They get away with more than any criminal defense attorney would ever dream of getting away with. 
I have never seen someone act so disrespectfully openly in court to a judge and get away with it. I think other judges would have had him in that other courtroom muted the entire time. We have seen there's a case we did on our channel where a judge gagged um, yep. uh, and yep. bound a Saw defendant. That. Saw that. I remember and that. That's, that's technically not a violation of their constitutional rights. I don't know how that's possible. But he was not uh, defending but not, himself. But he was not defending himself. He, 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 he was just a, uh, in the courtroom and he wouldn't shut the hell up. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. So there, okay. but, but there are, uh, go ahead, finish. There are cases that say the judge can bind and gag him in a situation like this, but she didn't. But th there are cases that actually say that she can't. That is a remedy. The whole thing starts with her uh, and the state saying we would uh, think that if you show up looking like a prisoner, that's going to be prejudicial toward you. In other words, the jury is going to look at you and say, this guy is coming out of a prison to come here and talk to us. You know, in their minds, he's already a prisoner. So why are we even here? Here's that discussion when this this is this is before even the trial started. Let's take a listen to this. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to go back to your cell and put on your suit? Um, it is my right to do so or to not do so. And at this point, Your Honor, who doesn't know that I'm in custody? <laughs> Mr. Who Brooks? Know that? I've had many trials with individuals who were in custody, and when I've talked to the jurors after the conclusion of the case, they had no idea. So she's telling him, we're helping you. By putting on a suit, the jury will not see you as a suspect. They'll not see you as a guilty person. Wearing a suit says you're already in prison. So we want to help you. And he's actually arguing with her on something you would think he would be more than happy to agree to. What? what? That was the very beginning of the trial that we knew, I knew right then, this is going to get really interesting. <laughs> Take us through it, Yeah, Peter. he did that over and over again. He yeah. did that over and over again, which, which things that are put into place to protect him and to make him look better, not make it obvious that he's shackled to the table. The state also just stood at the table doing their closing argument. They did all sorts of things to try to protect his rights throughout this trial that he basically spit in the face of. Uh, not to be outdone by, he literally was asking questions to open the door to his prior convictions and prior charge of hitting his girlfriend with a car, mm -hmm. which obviously I think the jury may have found that interesting. But the state, the witnesses, and the judge kept stopping it and making sure it didn't go there, even though he was asking questions that would potentially open that door. And if he was a lawyer, the state would have walked right through the door. Why was the judge and why did even prosecutors seem to be bending over backward to help him from destroying his own case? I think they were very confident they were going to get, get a conviction. They did not want to do this twice. They did not want to have even any possibility of an appeal or an appellate issue coming out of his behavior. So they gave him every chance. They gave him all the rope to do whatever he wanted with. They wanted to make sure that this was as clean as possible because they knew he was going to run amok, and some of the things that he was trying to do were just to disrupt and delay. It didn't actually matter what he was arguing half the time. That was his plan. And as long as the judge and the state didn't steamroll him, if they could get to the jury verdict that we got today, they were confident that it would be over once and for all. We don't have to waste any more time, money, resources on this case or this man, and the victim's families could get some form of closure for what he did. You know, it's funny. I, um, I watched him in his closing argument. And I thought he did a great job in his closing argument from a human, from a humanistic standpoint. I, I was really taken aback by his ability, maybe not as a closing argument from an evidentiary standpoint, Peter, 
We're talking to Peter Tragos. He is a personal injury attorney in Florida. He also, interestingly enough, has a, a, a YouTube channel and a podcast where he talks about relevant cases that are in the news. He happens to be uh, quite popular right now because he's talking about this case because this, this case is really, really blown up. I was taken aback in his closing argument, and we're going to listen to a piece of that right now, on how his performance seemed genuine. He seemed genuinely hurt, genuinely feeling remorse, all of those things that you would want someone to do. In fact, I thought his performance, not evidentiary, in, in, not from an evidentiary standpoint, but in terms of his performance and ability to stand in front of a group of people and talk to them and move them was way better than any of the prosecutors who I thought generally sucked in this case. Uh, that's my take. Here, here's a little bit of, uh, of this uh, dude uh, crying in front of the jury. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. For whatever mistakes that I myself have made in my life, I've made peace with, with God. I'm happy to say that my conscience is clear. <laughs> and because I believe, I trust him with my life. I believe in God. I love my children. I miss my children. I wish they could see me. Sometimes things happen that are beyond all of our controls. I mean, he said all the right stuff, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, except that you realize why he's here, what he did the families, the victims' families, how he called himself powerless. He had all the power that day. He didn't stop and he could have. I mean, it was pretty easy to flip that script on him when he is asking for sympathy because if this case is about sympathy and the jury is going to make the decision on sympathy, it's going to go against him. They're going to sympathize with eight-year-old Jackson who flew off the hood of his car lifeless, dead at eight years old, to the 70 people that were hit and injured and many killed by him, the dancing grannies. I mean, when they just played the video and you heard the Christmas music, thinking about the Christmas parade and the happiness that he drove through and, and just pummeled, it's tough to play the sympathy card when you're the criminal defendant in this case, acting like he acted throughout this trial. And so hmm. I think, well, at times he would ask a good question on cross. He would pick apart, you know, the identity. Well, you said there were three people. Well, you said he was a six foot tall, dark skinned <laughs> person. You said it was a light skinned person. At times he would pick decent lines of questioning. But it always fell apart when it got down to, so then what are you trying to get at? Are you saying it wasn't you? And I actually think the prosecutors, that was the best part of their closing, was when they connected the dots with those pictures. Here's the ring doorbell camera. This is Daryl Brooks. Yes. Here's this picture. This was Daryl Brooks. Here's this. This was Daryl Brooks. I did think it was a little clunky at times um, throughout the closing. But I think connecting those dots, intent and identity were the two things the prosecutors had to make sure they got. Once they got that, I think the video speaks for itself. That once you know the identity of the driver was this guy right here, play the video and it's over. I have found um, as a reporter most of my life, as you know, working at the local level, CNN, NBC, Fox, and covering trials and actually being in the courtroom, that oftentimes 
uh, the cases that have great evidence can be won by any prosecutor. But if it's oh, one yeah. of those cases that's a tweener like that, oftentimes these local prosecutors, they get their butts handed to them because I don't think they were born to communicate effectively. They they usually are better at just stacking information, not orating properly. I, am I wrong? It depends on the prosecutor, honestly. I mean, I really think it depends on the prosecutor. Some of them are really great. Some of them are not so great. You know, and it, it really can depend on the I, prosecutor. I don't think these were the great. I, were these great? I don't think they were great. I, 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 well, it was the actual DA, which is interesting. Huh. The elected district attorney was the one who gave the closing argument. I didn't so know that. Theoretically, their best, the best they got. I actually thought the younger male was the best prosecutor at the table. I actually really enjoyed some of the stuff that he did. I enjoyed his back and forth with Daryl Brooks when he called him a sex offender, which is in fact true. Um, and he said, mm. listen, if he opens that door, we're going to have to get into the fact that he's a sex offender. And he explained the entire background for the world to hear, which Daryl Brooks was not too happy about. But not the jury. The jury didn't hear no, that. Jury, yeah, no, jury. Exactly. No, not the jury, but all of us. All, all of us. Yeah, that's interesting. That, that's an interesting take. And you're a lawyer and you certainly know a lot more about it than I do. So it's interesting. And you go in there and you fight those battles with these guys all the time. And they are to be respected for their work, not to mention their caseloads. But it was interesting. Really hard. Trying these cases is hard. It has to be, right? Why? Tell me why. It is incredibly stressful every day. You've got, when you're a trial lawyer and you're in trial, you are thinking about the next witnesses you're going to call that day. While either questioning a witness or when somebody else is questioning them, you're listening to every answer and every question to what you're going to object to. And you've got to know what to object to appropriately and argue that while also potentially reading either a, a police interrogation or a deposition to see if they're lying and you need to impeach them with their deposition. You're doing all of that at the same time while continuing to plan the case going forward. And then if you think about a closing argument after 15 days of testimony, you've got to put all that in your head synthesize it in a way that the jury can actually understand it and you're not up there for five hours boring them to death and then also remember it all and then explain it all to them and that's one of the most difficult parts mm. of try that's always one of the most stressful nights to me is because i usually do the closing arguments in cases i try is is keeping all of that in your head getting it out in a way that they can understand and are not bored and i usually use powerpoint i usually try to use different mediums in a closing argument i'll do some powerpoint i'll do some poster boards i'll do some pictures I'll read some uh, transcripts and put them up because you got to keep them interested. Everybody's got a short attention span. You've got to get them different evidence, different ways to show and explain as you walk through explaining to them. So it is really hard. I think it's easy to sit on the outside and say, oh, I don't think they did a good enough job or I would have done this mm. differently. And I do it too. I'm not blaming anybody for that. I say, I probably would have made this argument or whatever. But when you're actually in it and living in it, it is so stressful. At the end of every day, you have an adrenaline come down. And then you got to get back up to do the next morning. So it is a lot of stress. It is a lot of pressure to try these cases. Even the ones that seem really easy like this, like we knew they were going to win the whole time. It's still stressful to do it right and get it done. And they did enough to get it done at the end of the day. Was it the most beautiful presentation? No. Was it the best uh, delivered speech I've ever seen? Absolutely not. No. But she got the job done. She's the DA. Justice was served at the end of the day, I think. You're fair. You're a fair-minded guy, Peter. And if you guys need a lawyer, you probably should give Peter a call because he, you know. <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. I'm listening to you, and you, you sound like a decent guy. And, you know, I here I am giving you an opportunity to chew up your opposition, and, and you're saying, no, th those are good people. They work really hard, and they have a very difficult task on their hands. You're be commended uh, for that, by the way. I, 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 l Thank let's you. listen now to the, the only reason this case became... Uh, viral 
uh, is because of the persnickety nature, the argumentative nature of those moments where this, this dude, who, by the way, walked in the first day in a prison suit, handcuffed, shackled, sweaty, hairy. Uh, he was a sight to behold, this guy, on day one. Uh, now they kind of cleaned him up. They shaved him. They gave him a regular haircut. He almost, they give him a suit and a tie. And, 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 and suddenly he's sitting here in court every day, but he is battling it out with the judge. I mean, she is this actually, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? She is good TV. She is an attractive woman, somewhat young, uh, very well-spoken, looks like something that was presented by a Hollywood casting director. Um, mm-hmm. Really, I mean, and she's going toe-to-toe with this dude, <laughs> this black dude, who is from time to time creating some pretty interesting arguments, and it's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and it becomes really good TV. It's hard not to watch it. So here's one of those moments, by the way. You're not making a record of Mr. not Rose, being. I'm able- advising you to be quiet because the jury's coming back. You're out. advising me to be quiet. Is you telling I'm me to be quiet? To be respectful when the jury. Are you comes telling out. me to be quiet, or are you asking me? I'm asking you and advising okay. you. Okay. Thank you for correcting that, because don't nobody tell me what to do. I don't tell nobody else what to Can do. Can you believe this? We're all in, we're all the dots in here. I've never told you to sir. do anything at all. Sir, I'd appreciate if your tone of voice would change. I would appreciate if you would ask me. I'm a grown man with grown kids. Don't nobody ain't nobody gonna talk to me like that. Nobody. I don't have a problem with doing what you ask me to do, not tell me. Now I gotta tell you something. I've covered a lot of Jordan's. I've spent a lot of time in courtrooms in my past as a younger man when I was a reporter. And if we ever had a case where that happened between an attorney and a judge, the whole place would light up. Everybody would. Did you see what happened today with attorney X and the judge? And they were young. This is every day for three weeks. There was stuff like this going on. It was hard to take your eyes off of it. It was like a train wreck, uh, Peter. Yeah, it's like, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's literally, and if, if an attorney acted this way in front of most judges, they would be held in contempt. They wouldn't be practicing very long. They'd be getting reprimanded by the bar. Like that's the disrespect that just you don't you show more respect to just your common man in the streets, let alone a sitting judge who's presiding over your case, telling her she's going to ask you to do something, not tell you. to. And frankly, he's just wrong. She can tell him to do all sorts of things. Exactly. She can send him back to, to his cell. She can kick him to the other courtroom. She can literally mute him if she wants to. And she finds reason to. So, I mean, that was that was hard to watch and frustrating to watch. I think she was. The patience of Job, I think, was a great explanation of of how you would ex, uh, explain her. But the other saying is probably also true. Even Job would take a swing on him. That's kind of a, <laughs> the, my thought process throughout it is like this guy was literally asking for it every second of every day. It was amazing to watch. And then uh, I guess, and you're going to put this in context for us now uh, after we watch this clip, because uh, people in the legal community who I have read have said she was being very careful not to have this case declared a mistrial. Because if that were to happen, 
then this guy, this SOB really, would literally spend the rest of his life just going to trials that would be declared mistrials. Now we start again and start again. 10 years from now, we're still doing this. So here's the subject of contempt of court, which is key to this conversation that you and I are about to have. Here it is. In my opinion, if this court were to find Mr. Brooks in contempt, it would allow him to profit from his own wrongdoing because it would result in a delay of these proceedings. I would have to, of course, uh, make certain findings. One of the possibilities for contempt is to hold him in custody until such time as he's willing to abide by the rules. So she's saying, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put him, I'm not gonna uh, declare him in contempt of court. I'm not gonna do it. I will not do it. I will not do it. I will not do it, even though I've been giving a thousand reasons to do it throughout this trial. Explain that to us, Peter. Well, one of the big things with contempt and why lawyers never want to be held in contempt, because you could actually be thrown in jail. But for Mr. Brooks, that's not really a threat, right? That's where okay. he goes at the end of every day, anyways. So that's number one. Number two, she would have to make actual findings to hold him in contempt. It would absolutely delay the trial and it could create a situation with a mistrial. It could create situations with the jurors who some got COVID during the trial. And to add those unnecessary delays just to hold him in contempt doesn't really do anything for the judge. So it, there's really no benefit to the system or to the prosecutors or to the judge or to the case to hold him in contempt, which is why he was literally asking for it. He was even saying, you held me in contempt. Why did you hold me in contempt? And she had to continue to say, I didn't hold, hold you in contempt. I'm not holding you in contempt because it would do nothing to benefit anybody but the defendant to be held in contempt during this trial because it would just create a delay. Do you believe, um, Peter, uh, talking to Peter Trago's attorney, that if by some miracle this guy would have gotten a lighter sentence as a result of his defense, that this would have opened up a Pandora's box all over the United States with people wanting to defend themselves? Or do you even think that because he got all this notoriety on YouTube and you and I and everybody else are talking about him, this is going to make self-defense more popular? So he was never going to get a lighter sentence by representing himself. I mean, if he would have got, if he would have been not guilty, I think that definitely that could have, you know, call, caused the big groundswell of people trying to represent themselves. Because uh, the the offer was six life sentences, so that's why he's not going to take any plea deal. He's never had a, an easier sentence. Was never on the table except for multiple life sentences. Mm -hmm. But the notoriety cuts both ways, right? He even talked about in his closing that his kids were bullied, his family was bullied, his mom can't go home. He's a monster. People are saying so that comes with the notoriety. Number one, number two, if anybody wants to create a circus like this, good luck. A jury's going to come back in record time, guilty on all counts. Hmm. Jurors don't buy this stuff. So I think any hope that he may have had of having people follow after him or anybody watching this saying, oh, I want to do that too, well, then get ready for very quick guilty counts and maximum sentences because that's, I think, what the results are going to be. Now, people are going to do wild things, right? They're going to put weights in fish. I mean, people yeah. are probably going to still try to do this. You know, I mean, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if we have more of this in the future, but you play stupid games, you know? Has anybody ever won a case representing themselves that we can yes. think of? Okay, Google says yeah. many people, here's what, I'm, I just Googled it. Many people have successfully represented themselves. Others have gone to court and found that their case was more complicated or that the court process was more difficult than they expected. That's that's the Google answer. What's yours? Yeah, people have definitely won representing themselves, especially at smaller levels. The guy that I tried the case against actually had another case 
prior, and that's why we put all these resources behind our case. He won representing himself the first time. And then we tried him on a second case and we convicted him the second, a different charge, but he actually did win. So people can win. Jurors can feel bad for people representing themselves. Usually it's not on mass murder charges. How would you grade this judge? Well, she acted differently than I would have. Okay. I probably would have been a little different than she did. I would have been more stern. I would have kicked him to the other courtroom and muted him a lot more often, but it may have opened up the door for, for an appellate issue, right? I, I would give her an A plus because at the end of the day, justice was served. They finished the trial in a reasonable amount of time. She was patient, kind, how I would want a judge to act to me, right? She was very fair. She was very balanced. She protected him in front of the jury, even though he was trying to hurt himself in front of the jury. So at the end of the day, the patients worked, doing the right thing worked. We got where we needed to get at the end of the day. She's protected the record better than any judge I've seen protect the record and guilty on all counts, which I believe was the just verdict in this case. So I'll, I'll give her an A+. Plus. I, I got to give her an A+, plus, to be honest. She never snapped once. She never flipped out on him once. I probably would not have been that patient. I'm a little more aggressive than that. It probably wouldn't have ended up well like it did for this judge. So I respect what she did. I can respect when people do things differently than I do, and it works. And I think that's what happened in this case. So I really think that she did a great job. Maybe it took a day longer than it should have because she gave him so much time to argue. But it's somewhere in the A's to me. What happens now, Peter? Uh, where does this case go? Um, usually there will be appeals. Is that something that is just part of the process and it'll go on for years to come? Yeah. So Monday, they're doing some scheduling. They're not actually doing the sentencing Monday, but she is going to allow victims to speak and their family members to speak at a sentencing hearing. She's also going to allow Daryl Brooks and his family to speak at a sentencing hearing if they want to. She will lay down the sentence. I guarantee it's going to be multiple life sentences. Um, and then he will start the appeals process. He's going to prison for life. So, I mean, we're going to appeal it until he doesn't have any more appeals to, to go, but he'll be sitting in prison while he waits. Why not execute it? Uh, no death penalty in Wisconsin. That's simple as that. They just don't have the death penalty. If they had the death penalty, would he be a candidate? Uh, I think so. You know, I don't know if that he would necessarily get it, but I think they probably would have charged him with the death penalty and this would have been a death penalty case. Now, it's interesting for him, right? The laws, I don't know if you talk sovereign citizen at all, but he doesn't recognize the laws of the state of Wisconsin and he does not think they have authority over him. And it's funny that those laws are the reason that he's not looking at the death penalty. You use that word several times, so I just want my audience to make sure they understand. What is a sovereign citizen and why do we hear about a lot about it these days, especially on YouTube channels? So a sovereign citizen is not necessarily like a Republican or a Democrat or a Baptist or a Catholic or some group of people that have some similar ideas, right? Most sovereign citizens can go very rogue, but the point is they are their own sovereign being. Nobody has authority over them, including the government. A lot of them don't pay taxes. A lot of them don't recognize any laws. Some of them recognize the laws of the United States Constitution, but usually not state laws. They don't think law enforcement officers have the authority to arrest them. It doesn't go well when they actually commit a crime because they realize what the truth is. And when you sit in a trial like this, he doesn't think these laws, this judge, this courtroom, these officers have any authority over him. He gets to do whatever he wants because he's an adult. He's a sovereign citizen. He makes his own choices and nobody can tell him what to do. That's basically what an understanding of a sovereign citizen is. I would bet Daryl Brooks was not a sovereign citizen prior to this crime. He was a sovereign citizen by necessity because he needed a defense, most likely. Is that correct? It, 
it seems like he found it in prison. <laughs> that's what that's what it seems like based on based on all the because uh, he's got a lot of you know YouTube videos and TikTok videos and stuff, mm. and he didn't seem like a sovereign citizen in those prior to getting arrested. It, it was stacked up right there against the wall next to religion. Yeah, which people also find in prison for some reason. You've been yep. a delight, my friend, Peter Tragos. Uh, he is a attorney. If you need one, he's a good one. Uh, we're going to uh, have a relationship with Peter so that when from time to time we need somebody who's smart, who can take us through some of these answers and some of these things that, frankly, I didn't understand, uh, he could take us through them. And you've done a, a really great job, Peter. It was really fun having you on, man. You're a good dude. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Now go take care of your kids. <laughs> All right. What are they just getting home time. now? What, what time? They should be. Yeah, yeah. Three thirty. Yeah. This All is right. I hope when they're walking in. I wanted to get you out in time so you can do what's the most important thing in your life, and that's your children and your family, man. Appreciate it. You're Thank a good you. guy. I appreciate it. So here we go. This All is right. uh, Rick Sanchez News. You know who we are. We have a podcast where we take apart the things that are important. Sometimes it's just stuff that everybody's talking about. How do you not talk about this case? My God, I was floored with this thing. And, I, and I'm calling all my friends and saying, did you just watch this? You know, it, it's, it's almost better than watching a football game, you know, because like a sporting event, you don't know what the ending's going to be. At any moment, this guy's going to snap and try and strangle the judge, I thought. At one moment, there was a point where the judge said, I'm afraid right now. I'm scared of you. Because he was like staring at her like this. And it was just nuts to watch this case. I think it's fascinating. I really do. We're Rick Sanchez News. We have a website. It's aguamedia.com. Please go there. Check it out. Find a podcast you like. Go jogging with it. Listen to it. You can also find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. We tell Latino truths. We tell truths. We like having conversations. We think this is important because we find that much of what we talk about, oftentimes people either aren't talking about it or they're not saying the things that we say because they're afraid to say them. We say the things that you sometimes think or wish you had said. And that's why we do this. And it's called Rick Sanchez News on Agua Media. And we're also, by the way, of course, on YouTube, or some of our chunks appear on YouTube. And we're also on TikTok, which is really cool. Did I tell you the other day what happened? I was meeting a friend for dinner, and I went to get my car valeted, and a young man says to me, hey, Mr. Sanchez, I've seen, I sound like Trump. Hey, Mr. Trump. But he, says, he, he didn't even say Mr. Sanchez. That's a lie. So let me, no, he didn't. Now that I'm thinking back, he did not say Mr. Sanchez. He said, I know you. I've seen you on, I've seen you. And I thought he was going to say, I've seen you on TV, Jerry. But you know what he said? He said? I watch you all the time on TikTok. I watch you all the time. So I didn't even know that I had like a TikTok following. So I went home and I told my wife and she said, check this out. So she went there and I have one TikTok thing with 570,000 people. I have another one with 400 and something thousand people. All told, there are millions of people apparently now following me on TikTok. And I swear, cross my heart and hope to pee all over myself. I didn't know. I really didn't know until that kid, that young man, he's not a kid. He was a, he was a nice guy too. Who told me about that? And I thought, wow, this is really fascinating. So, so there you go. We're on TikTok too. And if you see us on YouTube and you want to make sure you continue to see us, 
Subscribe. Dale, vatos. So, hey, listen, um, I always like to say this because there's this new thing that, as you know, we are a part of, and that's Latitude. It's the most important conference for Latinos in the United States. It takes place once a year in San Diego, but the whole idea of Latitudes is Latino attitude. And boy, do we need Latino attitude these days. So I close with Dale and Andale and vamos con Latitude. Agua. 